Welcome to Awakening Divine Wildness, hosted by inspirational speaker and best-selling author, Mal Duane. Mal invites you to embrace your divine wildness with powerful conversations with visionary women. Listen in and learn how to move from pain and heartache to forgiveness and freedom so you can live the life you deserve. Welcome to another episode of Awakening Divine Wildness. And you know, I am so passionate about the opportunity to talk with women who share that their mess in life became their message. But this woman went beyond. I mean, she became a PhD in this. And now this is what she teaches at a college level. So it's really, really impressive. My guest today, Dr. Mary E. Pritchard, is a PhD. She's a holistic health coach. And we're going to talk about learning to nourish your body temple, your sacred body temple. Mary became an expert on body image and her relationship uh, with food is what inspired her work. She battled an eating disorder and it brought her into an awakening of how to heal your relationship with food. She's an international best-selling author. She's the founder of Thriving Awaken Your Inner Goddess. Uh, she has a virtual community. She an she's an esteemed blogger on Psychology Today and the Huffington Post, as well as Fitness Magazine. Dr. Mary is passionately dedicated to empowering today's women in healing their relationships with food, their bodies, and themselves, reconnecting with their inner goddess, and stepping through their perceived fears and embracing the truth of who they are. Mary girl, you know I love you. We've worked together before you before and it's always an honor to spend this Thank time with you. Thank you so much, Mal. Oh, I just love you. We're soul sisters, you yes, know, we it's are. Just... <laughs> And the reason why I'm passionate about your work is because I walked through that mess as well. Yeah. In yeah. my teens being bullied, ridiculed for being too tall and too thin. I was malnutrition. I was malfunction. And I wanted to be 5'2 and fat. Okay? I wanted to be, have a very bosomy, well-developed yeah. body. And, <laughs> I, and I was none of those things. And it, Neither one of us got dealt those cards. <laughs> no, no. That's okay. Because I, I finally learned how to really appreciate what I had. But take us back to your struggle and then what you did to personally heal that pain in your own life. And now you teach in universities. Yeah, I mean, my mess is truly my message. Mine started a little later than yours. I think I was probably 16 or 17 and my parents were going through a divorce and I started emotionally eating. So I put a lot of weight on in a couple of years. And I had always been model thin. I'd always been, you know, the, the one who people would say, oh, you should be a model. And I stopped getting those comments because I put significant amount of weight on. I wasn't fat. I was still at a normal weight for my height, but it wasn't model thin anymore. And so in the tumultuous time, my parents are going through a divorce. 
And I also was having my, my entire childhood, I've had really abnormal and very painful menstrual cycles. So all of this was happening. I was putting weight on. My parents were going through this divorce. And I went to see an OBGYN, and she said, I think you have something called endometriosis. But you're really young, and the only way to diagnose it is through surgery. And I don't want to put you through that at you know, 17, 18. So let's just watch it. So I didn't know what that meant. I knew I wanted to lose some weight. And so I joined an all-female gym and I started working out. And it became very quickly an addiction because it was my escape from the yelling and screaming matches that were going on back home. My father eventually moved out in my senior year of high school. And so I got a little bit of of peace, but yet I was always the family mediator. You know, you wonder why I became a psychologist. <laughs> you were the fixer. I was the fixer. That's, yeah. I know that role. I was, yeah. I was always the fixer from as long as I can remember. My parents' marriage was never happy. And so I was always the fixer, the one who would get them to come to the table and see eye to eye. And so I'm you know, going through this transition. I'm graduating high school, going off to college. and. And my parents had finally decided it was enough. And so a decision was made that my mother would go to college with me. She would move with me and my father would stay back home and and uh, he had moved in with his mistress. And so that's kind of the stage for where the eating disorder really started. It was, you know, at the time I didn't understand, but looking back, it was really a self-punishment because I felt like I was a fixer and I couldn't fix it. And why couldn't I fix it? Because for 18 years, I had been able to fix it and I couldn't fix it anymore. And so they did end up getting back together. Um, it was very, very long, rocky road. But um, the seed had been planted, that there was something wrong with me. And so this inability to fix on top of this niggling seed of, you may have endometriosis and that's something that is wrong. And so fast forward, I'm 21. I'm at the end of my first year in graduate school and doubled over in the floor in pain. And I went to see now a different OBGYN and she, she did an ultrasound and she, she said, you have about a golf ball and a half sized cyst on your ovary. Let's watch it. Maybe it'll go away. Sometimes these things do. Two days later, it burst. So I'm going in for emergency surgery right before finals week of my first year of graduate school. And that's when the formal diagnosis was given. And that's when I was told, you will never bear children. Basically, hell is going to freeze over. You know, I'm 21. I'm engaged, about to be married. We have the American dream. And so that seed of there was something wrong with me, that it sort of started as an exercise addiction, which I still had at this point really at that point became what would morph into a full-blown eating disorder. Because at that point, I felt like not only could I not fix my parents' marriage, but now I'm, I'm broke. Like I'm really and truly broken because I can't have kids. And that's all, you know, at 21 that I, that I wanted. I wanted the American dream, right? And so that spiraled, you know, fast forward five Six, five or six years and had 
at that point, seven surgeries. I've been in drug-induced menopause three times. And, and that was just what you did for endometriosis back then. This is in the 90s. And finally, at the age of 26 or 27, my body finally said, fine, you want to be in menopause? We're going to put you in menopause. And that was it. It was the end of my reproductive years. So the dream that we had held on to of maybe, you know, we'd done fertility treatments at that point once, this dream of maybe this could work, maybe we can have this family, just came what little hope was left, crashing down. You're not ovulating. You're not having a child. And such a young <laughs> And if you're in menopause, you're not ovulating, right? Yeah, that's devastation. <laughs> it was pure devastation. And it created such a rift in my marriage that it's ultimately, you know, a decade later, what would unravel my marriage. But at the time, you know, I'm in my mid-20s, I'm in menopause, I'm trying to hold it together. I've got my first job post-PhD. Uh, it, it's just, I, I, and I never, it was that feeling, right, that I should be able to fix this. And yet again, I was faced with something really big that I couldn't fix. And so what did I do? I took it out on myself. And so my exercise addiction turned into an obsession with eating healthy because I, I somehow had rationalized in my mind that if I could just be healthy enough, maybe things would work out. But of course, healthy was barely eating enough to you know keep a bird alive. And all of it was organic and very few calories. And I became really health conscious to the extreme. I wasn't eating. I was losing weight and wasn't eating enough. I had osteopenia at this point because of combination of the eating disorder and the drug-induced menopause, which that's a side effect. My marriage is in shambles because I can't have this child in our dream, you know, that we had built together it was just broken. And I blamed me. My husband, my then husband blamed me. And it was just kind of this nightmare. So we held it together very unhappily for another decade. And the interesting thing is this circles back around to my father, and I didn't realize it when my eating disorder started. But when I started losing weight, my father started paying attention to me. It became a topic of conversation. How much do you weigh? You look like you're losing weight. And you know, he wanted a boy. And I wasn't a boy. And so, you know, from the get-go, I kind of always felt like a disappointment to him. And finally, you know, I found a topic of conversation. He was interested in me. And so I think, and again, this was not conscious, but looking back, I mean, subconsciously, I think I didn't want to be a normal weight. I wanted to be underweight because that kept him worried about me. It kept him paying attention to me. And I was still at my heart, even in my 20s and 30s, daddy's little girl. So I'm now 35. My father was diagnosed with cancer. I've been in menopause for about a decade at this point. And um, I, my parents were living in Texas, so I'd flown down as an academic, and I wasn't teaching that summer, so I'd flown down for my three months off of contract to help my mother care for my dying father. And I'm in Texas, and I start bleeding. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm in menopause. This can't be a period. Like, it didn't even occur to me that it could be a period, because I was in menopause. So I freaked out. My mother freaked out. I flew home. Went to the doctor, they did a bunch of tests. Like, we don't know what it is, but you appear to be healthy-ish. So, you know, go back home, take take care of your father. 28 days later, it happened again. And I flew back home. I was like, hmm, do you notice the pattern? 
<laughs> this kind of really kind of feels like period this time. And so the first time it, I got my cycle, the, nobody thought it was a period, so they never occurred to them to check my hormone levels. So the second time it happened, 28 days after the first time it happened, some bright soul had the you know, wisdom to check my hormone levels, and I was no longer menopausal. <laughs> I'd come out of menopause. I'd healed myself out of menopause. Through an eating disorder, through all this stuff that was going on in my life, I came out of menopause. And that, I, you know, I now believe in synchronicity. I didn't back then. I didn't even know what the word synchronicity meant. But it was like I had come full circle with my father. You know, his concern over my weight that had kind of been a fuel to the fire of the eating disorder to now my concern over his weight because as a cancer patient, I mean, he weighed, he was a shell of the man that he was. And we had somehow ironically come in this full circle. And yet during that summer that I was helping my mother care for my dying father who passed about a year later. It's like I got this part of me back that had been fractioned off earlier in my life. And I began to understand through the conversations I had with my father that he didn't want me to be miserable. He wanted me to live my life and enjoy my life regardless of whether he was around to be there as part of it. He knew he was dying, right? And so... (laughs) 36, my dad was 62 when he passed, and I was starting down this road and with a brand new mindset that if my body could heal itself from menopause, maybe all of those years that I blamed it and treated it horribly and deprived myself of food and exercised too much, maybe actually it hadn't betrayed me and it wasn't a traitor because that's what I thought all that time. But my body betrayed me and it was a traitor and it was enemy number one. And it was the only body I had. So, right. So, but I was like at war with my body for about 20 years. And now this took time, right? I'm nothing if not a slow learner, but, but it began the cycle. So I had to lose my father and I had to watch him die And I had to have those conversations with him about life and about what's really important for me to begin to understand that he loved me as I was. I didn't need to seek his attention by being unhealthy. Mary, how thin did you get? Ooh, probably about 113 was my lowest weight, 110, 113. And you're tall? I'm 5'7". Yeah, so that's, you know, yeah. So that's thin. Yeah, that's very thin. I mean, clearly, even even if I hadn't been in menopause, I had didn't have enough body fat right. to have been having a cycle anyway. Um, and so, <laughs> I kind of created my my own vicious cycle there. Yeah, yeah. So it was you know at the time with that diagnosis, it would have been kind of borderline anorexia. Um, I never was at such a low weight that I had to be hospitalized. Right. Came close a few times but never quite to that point. So now it, now that the criteria have changed, I definitely would have been diagnosed with anorexia, but back then it would have been kind of a borderline anorexia. What did you and, see when you looked in the mirror? Because that's oh, something that I hear all the time that's yeah. such a major part of the challenge for people yeah. with body image and eating yeah. disorders because what they see in a mirror is not what is physically right. out here. Yeah, 
I had a conversation. I'm funny. It's funny you asked me that. So I had to be around 113 to 115 to be happy. If I, I was above 115, I thought I was fat. And so there was this one conversation. It was probably within the last year of my marriage that my husband and I had. And I had known from the get go that he preferred women who were overweight. That was just his preference. And so, you know, as my marriage was crumbling again, you know, the eating disorder was kind of fueled in my fire to rebel against his desires and to show him, right? Yeah. <laughs> All these awful, awful things I was doing to myself. And we had this conversation when I was at one of my lowest weights. And he said, I'm really worried about you. I think you need to go into the hospital. I think that there's a problem. And I looked at him and I was like, what do you mean? I'm the healthiest I've ever been. <laughs> You didn't see it. I didn't see it. I didn't see it at all. I could see every bone in my spine. I had like a six pack. I was so lean that in my mind, I was finally healthy because you could see my collarbones protruding severely. I mean, every bone in my body, pretty much, you could see. I had some muscle tone because I was an exercise addict. And so I, I lifted weights six days a week. I ran all the time. Um, so I had muscle tone on top of, of the skin and bones. And so in my mind, I looked actually for the first time in my life pretty darn good. I remember another really twisted when I was in my 20s, I almost died of pneumonia. By the time I'd gotten out of the hospital, I dropped so much weight. I think I was probably below 110 at that point. And I'm standing there looking in the mirror, and I'm like, I look awesome. I had almost died seven days in ICU. I was so sick with pneumonia. I had almost died. And the thought that occurred to me, I'm on oxygen, right, for a month. I was on breathing treatments. I'm trying to finally, they finally <laughs> let me out of ICU. Oh, boy. And I'm thinking of myself, you know, as I'm doing my breathing treatment, looking in the mirror, I look awesome. Look at my six pack, right? And I, <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. And that's that's what you hear so often is that yes. when they look at people that struggle with eating disorders, when they look at themselves, they're not seeing what's really There's here. no reality. No. 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 Not at all. So how does somebody finally wake up and see the reality of that they're on this borderline yeah. of really bad health? How do you get there? How, how do you step out of the, the illusion? It was a series of aha moments, and I had to be ready. And I think that's one of the difficult things with treating eating disorders, is if you're not ready, you're never going to see it. So the first aha moment was, was my father's year and a half battle with multiple myeloma where we had a lot of conversations and watching someone you love die, it's transformational in a way that you cannot even begin to understand until you've been in that situation. This man that had been so strong that I looked up to was my rock, you know, and my daddy, watching him become thinner and thinner and thinner and just a shell of the man he used to be. That was the first aha moment. Around that time, and again, synchronicity, I just love synchronicity. A book came across my desk and I still don't remember who gave it to me. It's called The Red Tent by Anita Diamant. I had just gotten my cycles back. And there's this book. It's a novel, but it's, it's one of those historical fiction kind of novels. It's set in biblical times, and it follows a nomadic tribe where women were revered because they had cycles. They had the ability to give birth to life. And so as my father's dying and I'm getting my cycles back, this book comes across my desk. 
And I read it, I think in one sitting, I was so fascinated with the idea that maybe, because I had been raised to think your period was a curse. Mm-hmm. That's what they called That's it. That's what I was, just what they called it. Mm-hmm. It was Eve's curse. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was raised in a very religious household and, you know, it was kind of Eve's sin that brought about this curse on women that we had to bear this burden. And it was not viewed as a good thing at all. You hit it from everybody. You know, never let them know you're on your period. Right. Don't let them, you know, if you're don't having cramps, no. don't talk about it. Don't show any sign of pain or weakness because that's what it was. And so this book began to really shift my viewpoint on my body as a female. Because, you know, coming from a family where my dad always wanted a boy and I was the only child and I wasn't a boy. And even, you know, on his deathbed, he still wanted a boy. And so there was always that underlying current that I disappointed him somehow. And my body, female as it was, didn't work right, right? It was broken. And so I'm like, I was damned if I do, but damned if I don't, right? I'm not a boy, but I'm not a, I'm not a woman because I don't have this ability to give birth to life. So I'm reading this book and having just healed myself out of menopause and it really started to shift, but it would take another five years. I had to go through some more stuff, you know, before I really got it. So I was still, I began to understand the body was a sacred temple. I began to understand that my menstrual cycle was a gift, but I didn't yet see my body as a gift. That took about five more years. And I, I was 40, got just gotten divorced. Um, at this point, had had four rounds of failed fertility treatments. I'd broken my heel twice. I mean, like my life, Mal knows me from this time. My life just turned upside down and I was in an uproar. And a, a good male friend of mine, came to visit me for the holidays because he didn't want me to be alone for Christmas. And we've been friends for years. And he said something to me that echoed what my husband had said to me about a year before we got divorced, which was, you have a problem. I'm really worried about you. He had seen me you know, in, in August or September, and then he saw me in December. And the amount of weight I lost over a period of time where I had broken my heel and I was pretty much immobile was altogether shocking. I was not active. If anything, I should have been gaining weight. And yet I had lost a ton of weight. And again, at one of my lowest weights ever. And he looked me in the eye and he said, you have an eating disorder. And I said, no, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I was still in denial, right? Yeah. I was like, I'm the researcher. I study eating disorders. I don't have one. And we argued for about two weeks, we argued. We argued while he was here. We argued once he went back home. And finally, like, I don't even know what he said to me, but finally, this light bulb went off in my head. And I looked in the mirror one day, and I was like, he's right. You saw it. I finally saw it. Oh. Finally. Yep. And it took years. But I finally, through that series of aha moments saw what had been going on for at that point, 24 years. And I consider myself lucky because in working with people who have eating disorders, a lot of times we, we don't. No, I know. It took 24 years, right? A lot of times we don't see it. I know many stories of young women who never saw it and they're no longer here. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's a very difficult thing to treat. So difficult. Extremely, yeah. Yeah. But I knew also, when I finally admitted I had an eating disorder, I knew that my purpose in life was that I needed to heal so I could help others see the light and heal. And it hasn't been easy. I'm not going to, you know, it's not like a silver platter was presented and suddenly, aha, I was healed. Oh, no, it's, it's been work. a lot of ups. It's deep, deep, deep internal deep work. work. I mean, it's like me, 25 years of alcoholism. Yes. I mean, I have 28 years of recovery, but the work that I've had to do yeah. in this journey of recovery, it's every day. It's, yeah. You know, it is a constant daily practice yes. to stay in that good space. Yes. Yeah. Because it's it. so easy to go back down that road. Yes, it is. Down the yeah. foxhole. Very easy. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, I, when I finally admitted I had a problem, I was like, all right, I'm going to dive in. So I hired a therapist. I hired a psychiatrist. I hired a dietitian. I was like, I'm doing this. And <laughs> I walked into my therapist's office. First thing she says to me, so you have an eating disorder. And I was able to look her in the eye and say, yes. Yes, I do. Now you and own think, the story, girl. It doesn't own you any longer. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You own it. Yeah. And she gave me, one of our first sessions, she gave me this poem that I still read pretty often to this day. It's a poem by Portia Nelson about this about a sidewalk. And it's about how the first stanza is when you're walking down the sidewalk, you fall in the hole, you don't know how you get there, you can't figure out how to get out. Eventually you climb out. We just don't even know what happened. Right. right. And then the second stanza is you walk down the sidewalk, you see the hole, you fall in again, but you're still like, I don't, this isn't my fault. Like, I don't know how I got here. You finally climb your way out. Third stanza is something along the lines of, you know, I, I walk down the sidewalk, I see the hole. I don't want to fall in, but I do anyway. Yep. <laughs> I climb back out because yep. now I realize I'm the reason I'm here. Mm -hmm. I walk down the sidewalk, I watch skirt around the hole. And then finally, one day I walk down a different sidewalk. Yes. Consciously confident. Yes. yes. Every day. Yes. <laughs> choosing to walk down a different sidewalk. Because that other sidewalk, it's still there. Yeah, the hole's still in the ground. Yeah, I can still see it from here. Mm -hmm. I'm just choosing consciously every single day not to walk down. Yep. And that's what we have to do with yeah. eating disorders, with addictions with anything that is controlling us and the quality yeah. of our lives, we have to make conscious choices to stop. Yeah. But first we have to see the hole. Yeah. And that is so challenging. It took me 24, it took me 24 years, took you what, 28 years? 25. 25 years to see the hole. Yep. And everybody and else saw the hole, but we didn't see the hole. My dark hole was it got so bad, Mary, that I got to a point that I didn't have one day left in me, not one day left in me to drink again. I knew I was going to die. There wasn't a doubt in my mind. I had it all planned. There wasn't one day left. It was either stop today or tomorrow you're dead. Yeah. And I made a choice. With some divine inspiration, I think. Yes. You know, I, th I had a, had another voice going on in my head beside the crazy yeah. little ego of Mal. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. 
And eating disorders is the same kind of deal. You know, when we're in treatment, we talk about the eating disorders being Ed. It's like a third party mm-hmm. who's over here telling you all these nasty things about yourself that aren't true. Yes. yes. But you, but when you're in the middle of it, you believe it. Yes. You're in the hole. Yep. Yeah. Mary, you have a wonderful free gift that's available on your website to not only anybody that really is yeah. really struggling, because I mean, men have eating disorders as well. Yes, I, I, I see it more in women, but men do have it. Tell us a little bit about how somebody can reach out to you and, and get that free gift and open up to this conversation that yeah. they need to have and to be able to accept the fact, yes, I have a disorder. Now, what do I do to save my life? Yeah. yeah. You know, it starts with awareness. And so if you're at that point where you think, I'm ready to explore the hole in my sidewalk, right, for lack of a better metaphor, just go to my website, drmaryfritchard.com, and you can download my free gift. And it's a series of four audios. And the first is how to fall in love with your body, because that was a journey for me. And that's really where it started. The second is the self-love, the path to inner happiness. Because I had to realize at some point, and this was a painful, painful realization for me, that I had an eating disorder because I didn't love myself. I loathed the woman in the mirror. That's why I had an eating disorder. That's why I drank, girl. Yeah. Simple. I couldn't I stand what I was looking at. Yeah. And I didn't think I could be fixed. So I just attacked my body with the eating disorder. You use alcohol, you use eating disorders, the same kind of escape phenomenon. Yes. And so that kind of walks you through how I began to heal my relationship with my body first and falling in love with your body and then healing my relationship with myself. Because mm-hmm. I really could not heal that eating disorder until I started to repair my relationship with myself. It's so much more than food. It's so much more than alcohol. I mean, whatever your addiction is, right? It's so much more than that. Mm-hmm. It's your relationship with yourself that really is, is the problem. Tied up in that were some other qualities that I had to eventually deal with. The first was the fact that I was a people pleaser. I was the yes girl because I derived, as I realized I didn't love myself, I realized how much I derived my value and my sense of self-worth from doing things for other people. Yeah, the fixer. The fixer, the fixer. at my own expense, right? So the art of saying no. Yes is another audio class that you get. And then finally, there's a class called How to Be Your Own Prince Charming. And it it was me realizing that I was responsible for my own life and my own happiness. And I had been, for the first 40 years of my life, I kept waiting for this white knight to, you know, ride in and save me. And I was married and and I was not married to a white knight. So he, he wouldn't save me. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and I had to finally realize this because I had to save myself. I had to be my own hero. And so that's what that class is about. And along with those, there's, there's handouts, there's worksheets. I give you my self-love vow, my self-love pledge, a love letter that I wrote to my body. And that is the most commonly requested thing that I, I get from clients who are really struggling with returning love for their body and, and for themselves is to be able to look in, at that woman in the mirror and start to see things you're grateful for and things you love about yourself and not just flaws. Because for 24 years, that's all I saw. Flaw, 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 right? I mean, that's hard to overcome. 
And so I kind of walk you through that process. So that's the free gift. And then you're done with that and you feel like, all right, I'm ready. Then you can always go to work with Mary. You can get a free session with me where we we dive in and, and we decide, am I the appropriate coach to help you or is there someone else that I think would be a better fit? And I'll be honest with you. If I think you know, no, this is, this is something that mouth better suited for. This is something that you, know, you need really, you need an eating disorder therapist, you know, but then I'll, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I know my limits and I know what I can and, and cannot do. So I have the greatest respect for you. you oh, right back you're, at you, mouth. A woman that took such pain and now you've turned it into a magnificent purpose to serve others. As of you. As have you. Yep. That's what life's about. It's a gift from God. Really. Yeah. Yep. That we yeah. get to see the light and we say, oh, okay, what can I do with this experience that will serve others? Yeah. I have to kind of tell our listeners that you have a marvelous life now. You're very happy, very successful teaching and you have a white night because I've yes. seen pictures <laughs> and that's just you know it's wonderful you you now have everything in your life the way you want it and yourself but your self-love brought the white night yeah because yes. back then when I didn't love myself mm-hmm. I knew that other people had lives like mine mm-hmm. but I never thought it was possible for me I had to do the healing work yes. That's the key. And he's not, yeah, he's really not a white knight. He's a king and I'm the queen and we we rule together. I mean, he's not here to save me. Right. We've got each other's back. That's but it. But it's very much a relationship about, about being a partner, yes. about holding each other up when we're not feeling good, about being there. And that's something that, again, you know, I knew it existed. You and I both have some friends that have relationships like that. But I never, ever dreamed mm-hmm. I could have that. Too many women Where, think... A little over a year now, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think too many women think that a man is going to make them feel complete. And that's just yeah. too big a job for any guy. Yeah. They don't want yeah. to wear those shoes. Nope, not, not yeah. doing that one. Yeah. So. And what I learned through dating in my 40s was that if that's the kind of energy you put back, put out. That's what you get back. So I would attract men who were incomplete and were looking for me to complete them. And it was like this really broken. <laughs> oh, 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 yes. Song, like, oh, this is not going to work. It. Oh, no. my God. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your honesty, your transparency, and for your commitment to help others. Thank you. You're thank you for being you now. Oh, thank you for thanks, being girl. Thanks for listening to Awakening Divine Wildness. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend and please leave a favorable review at iTunes. Be sure to visit malduane.com for Mal's six-part video series, Heal Your Wounded Heart and Reclaim Your Worth.